They were called nasties and they were nasty. Some of the things that we've seen are so horrific. These films not only affect young people, but I believe they affect dogs as well. An extravaganza of gory violence, capable of depraving and corrupting those who watched it. I have never seen a video, mister. I wouldn't. I actually don't need to see what I know is in that film. And welcome to Doing the Nasty Podcast. This is season number two, episode number, wait for it, 12. That's right, Mark. Got my shit together. (laughs) Counted some numbers. Work things out. This is your 12th episode, which means we are covering another two movies. We're not quite at the halfway mark. That won't happen for about another six months uh, before we officially reach the half mark of what is turning out to be about a three now. A bit year podcast expedition into the tier three movies on the video nasty list. Um, so far, we have seen some surprising little gems, some movies which, upon a revisit, have proved to be quite fruitful, uh, and some w- first time watches that have been great. But let's be honest, the ratio of excellence to absolute pile of shit has favoured the absolute pile of shit. That is not the case this week. Joining me, as always, is my co-host with the most on doing the nasty season two. Is the phenomenal Mark Ball. How are you doing, sir? I, I was doing good until you started mentioning that like we're nearing, not quite to, but nearing the halfway point of the show. I don't want to think about the show ending. God damn it! Uh, <laughs> this has been like one of the high points of this year. This has got me back into podcasting. This has got me to watch a ton of shit that I probably normally wouldn't have, mm-hmm. and. It's given me lots of opportunities to hang out with my very good friend Duncan. So, like, I don't, okay. I don't want to think about this goddamn show ending. Goddamn it! Don't want to close my eyes. Don't <laughs> We're gonna have to fuck. invent another list of video nasties. <laughs> Somebody dig up the fucking grave of Mary Whitehouse. Tell her about a Serbian film and oh god, some of the other that, yeah, we, awful we do, shit that's come out in the last we, twenty years. We we did me and Andy way back in the day. When we were like, we're not doing tier three. Have you seen some of the movies on that list? Uh, like, it was a hard fucking no. Uh, we had toyed with the idea of just looking at movies in general that had been banned in the UK since. Surprisingly, not a huge amount. Um, yeah. It's like really, really not a lot. Uh, listen, listen, even if this finishes, something will take its place. That's, True. That's, that is how things work um, in the podcast world. When one, when one door closes, five open. Um, and there will be something down the road somewhere but yeah I mean it it feels like genuinely I know to some people they feel like their year has been like like the year of hell that has never ended (laughs) to me like in some respects it has but this recording of this particular show feels like it's went in very 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 quickly which is in contrast to how slow everything else is going and we are here. This is the episode, one of a couple of episodes from the randomised list of movies that I have genuinely been excited about since seeing how they would all stack up. And the main reason behind that is it has one of my all-time favourite horror movies, like by one of my all-time favourite directors, uh, Dario Argento's Deep Red from 75. But also a movie which, and I was speaking to you off-air about this, that I hadn't seen in quite some time and always regarded it as a as a better than average slasher movie, like with some really cool kills, uh, yeah. and on this particular rewatch, 
really warmed it, like really, really, really warmed it to the point where I actually think it's not only better than I give it credit for, but I actually think it's maybe better than a lot of when you see the stacking of uh, slasher movies and how people skew them. Um, this one, I think it's also benefited that it's a standalone movie uh, rather than building a franchise over it, which in a lot of respects does cheapen some of the earlier entries. I actually think this is like super strong across the board. So, although it does suffer from a particular thing that a few of these slashers suffer from at the time, uh, which I'll get to, which did make me laugh because I'd forgotten who the killer was and it took me all of about three seconds like into the movie and I was like alright oh, you're the killer um, because that's what yeah. we do in slasher movies am <laughs> I, I watching My Bloody Valentine which has exactly the same like <laughs> the same uh, premise for the reveal of the killer uh, but yeah we're going to get to that but it's, it's an exciting time to be here and an exciting time to roll through this and we're at the end of the year I mean this is the, the last one we'll be doing in the year that has been known as 2020 which I mean when the year started, I was like, alright, we're, we're in the roaring 20s, this should be fun, um, I imagine this will be another year, five years from now, that no one will remember, and uh, yeah, I think I was the one that basically cursed us, because I think for the, like, the next hundred years, they will be lo- they'll be looking back at the year 2020 and saying, you know, a lot of things went wrong, <laughs> we fucked up quite a lot, uh, we tried to yeah. course correct, but, you know, there was a lot of how we do things not that well, uh, and a lot of industries are forever changed. I think you know. I think the the face of a lot of how certain industries operate will just not be the same. And that brings me to the only discussion topic that I want to kind of cover before we jump in. And it's one I've been kind of gauging and bouncing off different people at different times. Is obviously the big news uh, that Warner Brothers have basically said, you know, listen. By even next year, we're gonna like there's a COVID vaccine now. Well, there's a few. You can take them. And then you can go back and get back to your normal life, so to speak. However, <laughs> however, um, you know, that normal life means that cinemas, I mean, they're going to open, but the damage has been done. People are not going to flock back to go to cinemas. They're going to be apprehensive. Yeah, they are. They're going to be apprehensive. They're going to be careful about when they go, how many they go and see. Um so, you know, rather than releasing all these movies, uh, which have cost us a lot of money to get into this position, uh, but rather than not release them as well, what we'll do is we will release them theatrically, but we'll also release them for a year. That's what they've said. I know some people are saying, it's the death of cinema, cinema is over. Um, that's not what they said. <laughs> Warner Brothers is one studio. Uh, but basically what they said is, you know, when we're doing that, if you subscribe to the old HBO Max, you'll also be able to see the following premieres on there for the same time. I imagine probably just during its cinema run and then they'll pull them off there in anticipation for a proper digital release and physical. I wouldn't imagine they're going to be on there, you know, forever. I, I think it's like a month or yeah. maybe it's, it might even be like two weeks or something. It's yeah, a real short window and yeah. then they'll still, if if they're, you know, doing well enough in theaters, still run for a little while and then the window from, you know, either like theater or limited streaming window to uh, like having a Blu-ray of it basically seems to get smaller and smaller, you oh know, God, every yeah, single some- year. So. <laughs> yeah, it's like sometimes you like you're walking out the screening in the cinema and someone's handing you a copy of the Blu-ray. Here's your, yeah. It's just been released, just mentally pressed. Um, so yeah, I mean, I'd like I've seen a lot of, there's obviously a lot of reaction from 
the directors who apparently did not know about this. And oh yeah, like, a lot of them are pissed. Like, super, super pissed. And I can see, once again, where some of it is coming from. I also can kind of see uh, that some of it is is less sensible for me overall. Ultimately, if I am Warner Brothers, and this is the this is this is where Duncan becomes all cold and heartless. Uh, if I'm Warner Brothers and I've financed your fucking movie and I paid you to make it, it's my property now. Unless you mm-hmm. unless you cut yourself in, it's my property. And if I decide to shelve it, I don't see the same people arguing when movies are shelved for like five, ten years when distributors pick up movies. I always go back to that uh, Levide movie from um, France, which was basically I think it was the Weinstein's purchased the rights to that and then just sat in it. Um, for years, years and years and years, um, because and it's still never come out in the yeah. states, as far as I know. Uh, and the, the whole purpose behind that was so they could do their like I think originally it was to do a remake uh, and get their remake out in advance. The early two thousands, they did that with all the J horrors, all the J horrors purchased, brought in, held them so remakes could be made first in advance of the proper movies being released. And see the same outcry then. But no, no, no! This is this is big movies. This is the big ones now. I mean, God, Woe Betide, Tom and Jerry is released at the cinema <laughs> and on HBO Max at the same time. Someone think of the children. Um, but yeah, I, I, I mean, didn't specifically see that director, the Tom and Jerry, no, who directed it's that. Very quiet. But very, uh, very, definitely, very quiet. I think the guy that directed the Kong versus Godzilla movie was kind of fucking pissed. Yep. Uh, Christopher Nolan has been throwing in absolute fucking shit fit, which <laughs> honestly, I kind of makes me angry. Like the amount of power that that dude has to yep. push around a company like Warner Brothers that mm-hmm. has been around longer than that dude was like swimming in his dad's balls. The thing, the thing uh, about Nolan as well is Nolan was the the he was the experiment. On that, because the tenant was released and no one went to see it. People went to see well, it. But was it an make... experiment, or was it he bitched and complained enough that they fucking finally put it in theaters I, and it I flopped think, horribly? I think, I genuinely think it was somewhere fifty-fifty. I don't yeah, think, yeah. I don't think, like what, just the marketing and all the rest you have to put behind something. They're not gonna do that. And the interesting thing is, Warner Brothers appears to be the one that is being most proactive in trying different things. Yeah. You know what I mean? So obviously they tried that, it didn't work. Every fucking studio and their auntie pulled all their films. <laughs> like, we're not releasing fuck all now. Uh, so all yeah. those films were pulled and now they're like, well, you know what, we're going to give this, this kind of, you know, the streaming distribution model a try for a year until things stable and, you know, we're going to, we're going to, and, and then you see these people, I understand, to an extent, I understand Villeneuve's complaint, because Villeneuve has, like, a second movie to make, and how do you gauge the metrics of whether or not that movie's successful for him to make his part two, if the first part doesn't have those metrics, can't generate numbers that make sense, so I can see that argument, and that's his argument, he's like, that. listen, you're, you're killing my, you're killing my, my sequel, before I even you're, you're going to get a movie based on Dune which is half the book if you know if we don't green light the second one I, I understand that but then I was reading lots of other stuff and just going well I, I know rattle the cage and be angry about it and uh, and all the rest but ultimately this is it's like it's like the music industry it's like record labels ultimately when you sign that bit of paper it's theirs and they can do whatever they want with it and all you're saying just now is you're 
against capitalism, which I don't think you are. <laughs> like, I really, I think I'm gonna push you on that one. I don't think you are. I think you are like using. I think a lot of them are using it under a guise of. Well, you know, my art deserves to be seen on the big screen, and I totally agree with that. But what's the alternative here? The alternative is the art deserves to be shown on the big screen, and no one fucking goes and sees it. And guess who doesn't take the hit? Mr. Director has been paid in advance. Yep. You take the hit. It's the studio that takes the hit. So if I'm the studio, I'm covering all fucking bases. Like I'm, I like I'm two steps away from having door-to-door salesmen come up with copies of the movie and try and hawk them on the doorstep to to, to customers because it's their money. It's, it's great to sit there and say you're killing, you're killing cinema. You're killing cinema. They're not. They're not. I, I've said this before. The the thing that makes me kind of giddy is that I might be able to go into a large cineplex. And have the option of seeing an like a, an indie movie that I don't have to travel 45 minutes to a cinema to see. I can go to my local cinema and see it because the next summer blockbuster isn't on fucking seven screens, <laughs> seven bastard yeah. screens every 20 every 20 minutes for the next you know three weeks. Yeah, I might be able to go and check out like some small French nonsense movie. <laughs> That's about, I don't know, a man falls in love with a peach. I don't know. I want to see that fucking movie. I want to see that movie. Like, look, g- give me give me the choice of that one. Because at the moment, it's the other way. The stranglehold's insane. Um, so, yeah, that's I, I just wanted to kick that out. Because every time someone has asked me thus far in the last week since this announcement came out, um, I feel the eye start to twitch. I start getting Forrest Whitaker eye. You know what I mean? Where it starts to drip down a little bit and starts tweaking it when I'm like that. Like, I mean, what, what you're moaning? You're moaning that the film studio who owns the rights to the movie is choosing a, a method which, if anything, makes the movie more accessible to people who might not be able to get to the cinema. Is and you claim you're a, a you know, a film fan, and there are people that just don't get out of it. There are people that will come out of COVID with forms of depression, agoraphobia, I mean, the list goes on of all these conditions that will not mean they want to go into a packed fucking cinema. Yep. And so they, fuck them, they shouldn't get to see a movie, Mark. Fuck them. They should have to wait. They should just wait. They don't get the privilege of seeing that movie on that day. How how very bold of you, Christopher Nolan, to sit there and just, you know... Because I'm, I'm sure when Nolan goes to see a movie, it's a fucking private cinema, right? Yeah, yeah, like a 25 foot screen in his fucking home, probably. Yeah, I'm I'm sure, I'm sure he's fine with that. But everyone else, nope, go group en masse. Um, I'm sure everyone has adhered to the, you know, the the rules that they're supposed to follow and made sure they took that vaccine um, and all the rest. Uh, Diligently checked it before they went to the cinema. So. Well, and also, I've been saying this for fucking years, uh, the theater does not equal cinema. Like, just because it doesn't fucking play in a theater doesn't mm-hmm. mean it's not, like, a movie. Like, yep. I've, this, is, this has been true for fucking years. Like, I mean, almost all of my favorite movies, like, from the last, like, couple of years uh, don't play in fucking mainstream theaters, like, anywhere near. Like, and all of our theaters are, like, independently owned, so... Mm-hmm. I mean, they kind of have to play it safe in a small town and play what they know people are going to show up to, which is usually, like, ten theaters worth of fucking Marvel movies. But, um, like, yeah, I'm I'm used to, at this point, seeing, like, some of my favorite movies. Like, if I don't see it at the festival, it's going to be 
like on Shutter or Amazon Prime or something. So, yeah. like, I mean, I don't, I don't get the insistence that people see your fucking movie in a theater because, really, you should just want them to see your fucking movie. Yes. I mean, yeah, it'd be like a, it'd be like a band releasing an album and saying that you could only listen to it in a Starbucks. Yeah. Uh, God forbid you listen to it in your house. That's like insane. I don't. I don't. I, yeah. I don't know. We will see how this unfolds. Uh, what I'm loving about it at the moment is there's a lot of belly and uh, Warner Brothers like the deal's done. <laughs> like yes, maybe we should. In fairness, maybe they should have given the heads up to them before. <laughs> <laughs> they yeah, just said I mean, no, no red carpet for this one. Uh, so just keep that that three piece suit in the in the car. I'm sure there will be. Uh, but yeah, I still think it's part. a step above just shelving their movie of until course. the end of fucking time. Like I mean, it can always be industry, worse. Yeah, the film industry is now back making movies. That hasn't stopped, and all we're doing is. Like, we were talking about this on the the music podcast I do. Like, every band that released an album this year did not tour, right? So so that's going to roll into next year. So every band is... This is the reason some of the gigs that have been announced thus far are the most insane. Like, there's like 10 bands on bills now and all the rest. Because everyone is going to gig next year, right? But that's also taking into account that more bands are going to release albums next year. And they're going to go on tour. So the kind of... Oh, I can't go out to see a gig. That is not going to be an issue next year. They're, they're going to be fucking everywhere. And the problem as a consumer is you're going to have ultimately that kind of festival fever and that you're really going to have to be selective of what you can actually go and see because you're going to be spoiled for choice and not the, the, the money isn't going to be there to go and see six gigs that week because all your favourite bands are playing on different... Like, it's not everyone's going to be doing it though. And that industry is going gonna, is gonna to bounce back pretty quick. I have a feeling cinema will as well. As soon as it embraces, very much like you just said there, that there are different mediums to watch movies. Um, And if you're really, really clever, you try and embrace the ones that help you now. And what will help Warner Brothers now, I am sure, um, is that that model. Um, I don't think they've taken that. From their respect, I imagine HBO have paid a fucking Titanic's worth of money um, to secure that deal which is money up front for them which allows them to go back to directors and make more fucking movies so I mean honestly, this is the circle of life uh, Simba you know what I mean this is like literally this is where we are now I just don't get it I don't I, uh, it breaks my brain sometimes breaks my heart Mark breaks my super, heart super weird times that we're living in right now it really is it really really is uh, oh, they cannot see my movie on the cinema. Oh, I must cry. I don't know who that's impressional. I'm sure there's a German director out there somewhere who's got a movie coming out. Uh, we'll call him Hans, because that's, that's not stereotypical at all. Um, right, we have two movies to discuss on this episode. We are going to jump in and do some Prowler action, a.k.a. Rosemary's Killer, as it was known in the UK. Stupid fucking name. There's another one, like the Pitchfork Murders or something. Yeah, which makes a lot of sense. It's like when yeah. Deep Red... Isn't Deep Red... Um, the Hatchet, Hatchet Murders. Mur- yeah, the yeah. Hatchet Murders in, in the States because they didn't like the name Deep Red. Maybe it was too, um, too ambiguous. Um, it wasn't... I mean, even Deep Red doesn't sound as good as Profondo Rosso. Oh, oh. oh no, it was the, the Pitchfork of Death. That's, the that's pitch- a video nasty <laughs> title, if ever there was one. Especially, I don't know if you've seen... I think it was, it's it's either from somewhere in Europe or somewhere in Japan. There's a great fucking poster that's just 
a still of the chicken stabbed in the fucking shower with the pitchforks and it's like super gory and it's like that's why this movie got banned right there yeah it's like the it's like with with Tenebrae Tenebrae has that phenomenal poster and it's the girl looking through the tear in her shirt so she's trying to get away she lifts up her shirt and the killer slices down with the straight razor and exposes it's one of my favourite Argento shots ever in fact that whole fucking there's a couple of them in Deep Red by the way when I was watching it just going that Argento's just, it's a different level of filmmaking. It's a, just yeah. a completely different level than anything you've seen before. Um, but yeah, like I love I love posters like that. I mean, the, the Prowler one that you see more commonly is that one, you know, of him uh, grabbing the chick in the in the pool. But you don't see what he does to the chick in the pool. But there's there's a lot, there's so many bitching scenes in this that I genuinely think you could just have like a like a, a, a you could done a, a small art gallery exhibition of stills of the deaths in this movie as alternate posters, and I would have loved them all. I'll be honest with you, I would have loved every single one of them. But it's yep. where we are starting at first, ladies and gents. So we're going to be doing a little bit of prowler action. But before we get to that, you're going to hear learned people from that video nasties doc uh, go through uh, why they think the prowler may have been hashtag censored. Um, and we're going to come back to discuss the movie after the trailer, right after this. Rosemary's Killer, aka The Prowler, is probably better known under the Prowler title. It's a 1981 slasher classic from Joe Zito who went on to do Friday 13th, the final chapter in 1984. In fact, it was this film which helped him get that gig. And in fact, the people behind the Friday 13th series actually said to him, if they could put this film out as a Friday 13th movie, it would make a, a you know, a whole load of money. Unfortunately, they didn't do that, but they did get him to make that film. Now, Rosemary's Killer is probably an apter title than The Prowler. Essentially, what it was was a prologue set in 1945 at graduation dance. Rosemary is pitchforked with her new lover by her spurned GI boyfriend, who she sent a Dear John letter to. Now, obviously, he's a bit pissed off by that, but nothing happens for 30-odd years. And then, of course, as what happens in such movies in the, the early 1980s, they decide to have another dance, just like My Bully Valentine, which is a very similar sort of setup. And, of course, the murders start anew, and the GI is back with his trusty pitchfork. So, of course, has this Tom Savini special effects, which is probably the biggest uh, draw for the film. Now, Tom Savini, um, you know, it's probably his best work, actually. Friday the 13th um, is obviously one of his better known and Dawn of the Dead. But you look back at them, and they look a little bit hokey now, I would say. But Rosemary's Killer is still incredibly brutal. There's a scene where somebody gets a um, machete through the top of the head, and it comes out through the bottom of their neck. Their eyeballs roll back. Cindy Weintraub is killed in the swimming pool. Who somehow managed to swim underwater in all this kind of gear and cuts her throat with a machete. Now, it's incredibly violent, and in its uncut version, it still packs quite a punch. Now, of course, Rosemary's Killer, when it came out in the UK, of course, when it did come out, it came out of the cinema, and of course, it was cut quite heavily, and this, this version was cut heavily on video. Now, I remember hiring this when I was about 12 or 13, um, and I managed to get it out of the, out of the video library, um, and they were, you know, it was one of the few times I managed to get away with actually hiring a film like this, um, after seeing films like Friday the 13th, and um, I remember thinking, there's not much in it. But of course, again, it's one of those films where pretty much everything was cut out. Now, Rosemary's Killer um, also stars um, Lawrence Tierney, who was in Midnight, it's another film we've talked about, and also Farley Granger, who plays the sheriff, who, if you're trying to work out, it sets itself up as a whodunit. Now, it doesn't really give much away when Farley Granger is probably the best known with Lawrence Tierney in the film. He disappears after about five minutes. Now, who could be the killer? Mm, I wonder. So he turns up, it ends with Tom Savini blowing someone else's, someone's head off with a shotgun, very much in the way of a uh, maniac. So it's a film that's come back into popularity, I kind of guess, in the last few years. It's been given some 
fantastic video and well DVD and Blu-ray releases. Um, but it's a film that kind of almost vanished for quite a while. And uh, Joe Zito actually said he almost decided he didn't want anyone to see it, partly because he was he was actually concerned about how cheap some of the film looked. There's a scene in a graveyard with a polystyrene gravestone, and he was worried that it looked too cheap. There was also some other props in it he said he was he was a bit worried about. So it's not my favourite slasher movie, but it's for fans of early 80s slashers. You could do a lot, lot worse. Believe me, you could do a whole lot worse. And I think we're actually probably looking at some of these um, some others you'll probably see some trailers for coming up. But yeah, The Prowler, a.k.a. Rosemary's Killer, is, is certainly, you know, one to watch. It was 1945, the night of the graduation dance. The war overseas had just ended. The terror at home Boy. was about to begin. Roy? Come on, kid, don't play hard to get. What about New Year's Eve? Well, that was different. I couldn't help myself. The Prowler. If he wants you, he'll get you. Tonight, the terror begins again. They never found out who did it. It had to be someone in town, someone who knew that she was called Rose. And Mark, that guy still might be around here. Oh, man, I don't believe this. You're talking about something that happened over 30 years ago. Whenever the time was right, he'd come back. The Prowler. If he wants you. He'll get you. Catch your breath. It starts all over again.
think you're safe. But you're dead wrong. The Prowler, coming soon. And welcome back. So you've just heard the trailer for The Prowler. This one is directed by the great Joseph Zito. The movie stars Vicky Dawson, Christopher Goutsman, Lawrence Tierney, Farley Granger, Cindy Weintrop, Lisa Dunheath, David Sederholm, oh Jesus, Bill Nunnery, <laughs> I was just thinking about sexy nuns again, <laughs> Tom Tom, Bra- I thought it was Tom Brady, but it's Tom Bray. Uh, Diane uh, he, w- he would have been young at this point. <laughs> Very young. Uh, Brian England and some others. Synopsis for this one is an unknown killer clad in World War II US Army fatigues stalks a small New Jersey town. Hellbent on reviving a 35-year-old double murder on focusing on a group of college kids and an annual graduation dance. And I said reviving when I should have said reliving. Um... Yeah, I hadn't seen this one in ages, like legitimate ages. So much so that I, once again, we spoke about this offline, the infamous pitchfork and the shower death, I had kind of recalibrated in my brain as that's like the crescendo at the end of this movie. And it happens at about the half an hour mark. Yeah. And I, I was kind of taken a little bit back by that because as soon as it happened, I was like, how long's left in this fucking movie? <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> I was like, we've got an hour still to go. Um... I was always kind of so-so on this. I thought it was an alright slasher movie, but nothing that I would you know, stand from the mountaintop and watch the Prowler. I was never that, never that guy. Um, and then I watched it this time around, and I always have to preface any conversation about slasher movies with the fact that I'm doing the 88 film slasher classic collection, and 95% of those movies are dog shit. Like, absolutely awful, lo-fi, terrible acting, bad camera work, uh, you know, like just uninterested, cliched bullshit, that yeah. when I see a slasher that is, I was like back last month on Friday the 13th, funnily enough, uh, I watched a couple of the Friday the 13th movies, which I do genuinely love anyway, but I was starting to think that the, the movies were maybe a, much better than what I think they are, just because of the comparison to some of the slasher, I'm like, no, actually, this movie's fucking amazing, <laughs> you know, and, and they're, they're, for the most part, they're not, and they're very generic, and they're generic in a way that I like. So coming back to watch The Prowler, like, this was hugely elevated by this. Um, you know, like, absolutely, on some some parts, I was like, this has got its pacing nailed 100%. We get our backstory introduction to, you know, a death 35 years previously, and then, boom, we're right into graduation uh, day planning now with these kids. Um, and, you know, within... 15 minutes of that there's another two deaths and then the deaths come at fairly decent intervals towards the end I love the look of the killer I love the the military fatigues but still with a kind of balaclava-esque mask over the face so you can't see that I think he moves in a way which you know obviously owes a lot to to Michael Myers um, which I do really really enjoy but I also like how fucking vicious he is he is a vicious killer. Um, we see that and almost every death is a gnarly, gnarly death where it's the kind of bayonet through the top of the head that turns a guy into a, a dead ape. Uh, literally, his eyes roll back and I just keep, uh, keep looking at him expecting to say, I'll swallow your soul! Um, 
but are the pitchfork and the shower, uh, the woman that he sneaks up behind in the swimming pool after basically booting her in the face uh, and slicing her throat, which is fucking the, the effects, by the way. Oh, so good, so good. Um, even the shotgun scene, I thought was excellent. It's surprisingly bloody. Um, so really, really enjoyed that. Um, so yeah, I was, I was in with this one. There are a couple of things that I think don't work for it. Uh, and, and one thing that made my eye roll, the big thing that made my eye roll, and I mentioned this before, much like a few movies from this time period, if a character at the beginning of the movie says they're going away somewhere on vacation, they're the killer, right? That's, like, <laughs> that's literally, that's they're the killer. You, you might as well walk up there and say, you know, I'm going on holiday and then look at the at the you know the camera at the audience and wink and then lift like a stabby implement up and go wee, wee, wee. Well because it, it makes no fucking sense why the sheriff would go on vacation the same night as this dance that he's been warning the students about. Like we haven't done one of these since a fucking kid got killed at the fucking last mm-hmm. one thirty five years ago. But you know what? You guys got it handled. I'm just going to fucking dip out for the rest of this movie. Uh, you know what? Have fun. See you later. Yeah. And, uh, the, yeah. the last thing the last thing I want to see... Well, you know, last thing I want to see this Friday night is a bunch of horny teenagers pawing at each other. Um, I'm going to go on vacation and like do some... Oh, by the way, the, the guy who works in the, the cabin, like the lodge that he goes to stay at, is maybe my favourite character in cinema history. Like, that guy drove me fucking crazy. See what that he gets whole the scene just made like my fucking. I just got so impatient with the movie, and I was just like, "Movie, what are you doing? Come oh, on, you he's had d- pacing." He's, he's doing. He's doing the. He's, he's doing the. Like, oh, oh, you're gonna give me shit while I'm having to sit here and play cards myself and this no. rickety old shit heap. You're gonna give me shit. You know what? I'm just gonna put the phone down here. I'm gonna pretend to leave and. I mean, that facade works until I open my chewing tobacco and then loudly chew and then, you know, play cards so that the phone clearly picks that up. Um, and, like, all those things, like, there's something that I've realised really, really recently that, like, particular characters that do really shithead things, uh, I'm starting to warm to them. We were watching <laughs> we were watching Home Alone last night. Uh, it's the first time watching it with the, 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 the wee one. And um, there's a bit where she phones the police. I hadn't ever really doubled down on this. There's a bit where she phones, like the mother, Catherine O'Hara, phones the the police from France. Like so, she phones them from the from the airport, and she gets uh, she gets through to them. And there's the whole bureaucracy. The first one's like, "Oh, you want us to go and get your kid? That's family crisis." Oh, so she yeah. passes it, and that guy's. She's like, "No, no, no, don't put." Me. So they put them under that, and you're thinking these are the most incompetent cops in the world, but they're not, Mark. Right, the most incompetent cop is the cop they send out to the house, right, who arrives at the house, chaps the door knowing that there's an eight-year-old in there, himself rings the doorbell a few times, phones back dispatch and says, "Um, listen, I'm at the house, I've knocked the door a couple of times, no one's there, tell her to count her kids again, and then gets in the car and fucks (laughs) up. And I was like, oh, that is a special level of who gives a fuck. I mean, that is like... Like, I had never picked up on that before. Because, <laughs> like, the first step was like that. The cop knows this is a kid. Like, he would be breaking down the door. I mean, yes. he's covered for that. You know, he'd be breaking down all the rest. He literally says, tell the woman to count her kids again. And I was like, holy shit. And he just gets in the car, drives the fuck out of there. And then I was thinking, as a conceit, and I don't want to turn this into a Home Alone diatribe. <laughs> as a, <laughs> but I'm gonna. Uh, as, a, as a twist here, there's an easy way to solve that issue. 
because Kevin doesn't know it's the police at the door but Kevin's only interaction with a police officer is fucking Joe Pesci earlier on in the movie who he then sees as a robber later on so he knows that police officers might not be police officers and someone wearing that uniform might not be who they say, say they are so you know like a scene of him seeing that and then hiding rather than just the door goes and the kid won't go down and the police officer doesn't give a fuck it's a, but I, I, I literally turned to my wife and I was like that is this is this guy the worst cop ever and my wife's like you know I never noticed that before I was like neither did I count the kids that's literally the advice <laughs> I know you're in France count your kids again everything will be fine um, Merry Christmas but like this guy's a, a particular level of shithead which I kind of like the second thing I, I wanted to mention is the band playing this graduation are the worst band ever and that none of their songs are about fucking right, or being in love one of the songs is about being a con man you gotta play it straight and do like get to the thing and make the money yeah like all this stuff right I was just I was going and the kids are all dancing to him like there's no love in this one the second one I'm fairly sure is about someone murdering someone on a dance floor it's like you gotta get her she bleed on the floor and I'm like what the fuck and this is the two songs that the band plays while everyone's dancing having a good time at their graduation thing. and then I was thinking other movies did this better um like much much better uh, but I worth that I was surprised how well the whole movie worked for me I really enjoyed it I even enjoyed the and the eyes rolled a little bit the kind of PCs-esque ending to this one that makes zero fucking sense where the dead kid with the eyes roll back grabs her top and she starts howling like screaming and howling and the cop well, this guy might this guy might be the same Home Alone cop actually stands outside and looks up at the building as she's screaming and doesn't fucking move uh, cut to credits um, yep. but you know like out with that like silly silly ending which I know why it's there because that's how we end slasher movies in the A1 but like Joe Zio like directs the fucking shit out of this movie it's gnarly it's bloody the kills are memorable I like the look of the slasher killer and for the most part has great pacing the characters are for the most part as well quite likeable as slasher teens go um, you know there are a couple of them that are a bit dickheadish uh, but no you know not to a level where they're like offensive or anything like that the reveal of the killer is a bit dumb but yeah this one pulls in really really well for me what about yourself you said it had been a wee while since you'd sat down at the prowler well, well how was the how was the viewing for you yeah i think the last time i saw this this ran in the very first season of the new joe bob briggs show that's been on shutter i think it was one of the ones that ran in the first day so i'm pretty sure i was really really intoxicated the last time i watched <laughs> this um i i i there's a lot I had forgotten about this. I, I'd forgotten how bloody it is. Mm. It's extremely bloody, and it's not that shitty 3M, like, stage paint blood like in Dawn of the Dead. It's, like, good old-fashioned caro corn syrup fucking red-as-fuck blood. Like, yeah. it, it looks fantastic. I was trying to look on the Wikipedia. Did Tom Savini do the special effects for See, this, or I was it thought, Like, else? I thought that was, um... Uh, this is... The interesting thing about this one is I had a... You know how you, like, sometimes just pick up like facts that you know for a fact are true and then other facts that you think might be true but you don't know where you heard it, heard it before and thus you're like 
<laughs> kind of sure. Mandela effect it. Pretty much, and um, I am I am of that one. While you're talking, I will see if I can track it down. To me, they look like Savini era effects, but I was thinking '81 is when the burning was being filmed. Yeah. So, and obviously, infamously, Savini went to do that as opposed to doing the was it part two of Friday the Thirteenth. Um, so there's a, there's a good chance that. I'll find out. You you continue talking anyway, and I will find out the deets. If it wasn't Savini, it was somebody really, really, really good. Because yeah, it's it's had me thinking all these years that it totally was Savini. Especially the shotgun blast at the end is like classic. It looks it looks just like uh, like the shotgun blast in Maniac or like oh, Dawn yes. of the Dead. Mm. Uh, it's so so gruesome. Like is it's uh, yeah. There's this thing is full of fucking blood. Um, and yeah, I'd, I'd agree. I, I think this is directed really well. I think the cinematography is all, like, really solid. It's got this, like, real... It, it mentions in the Wikipedia, so apparently I'm not the only one that noticed that this has this, a real strange dreamlike quality to it, and everything's yeah. kind of soft focus, and a lot of the lighting is really kind of soft. Like, it doesn't do what a lot of other movies around the same time did, where, like, it kind of draws attention to the cinematography. Like... Uh, I'm gonna make a lot of prom night comparisons to this because we just difficult, talked about that last yeah, as, month. Yeah, it's difficult not to. By the way, it was Savini. Savini did oh, okay. special effects and special makeup effects as well. Okay, that would, all right, that makes sense. But um, yeah, uh, the, a lot of similarities with prom night for which I, you know, I don't know might just all be in my head. Uh, it takes place at a dance. It's a it's a slasher that's like come back from the past and it's kind of a uh, a series of red herrings before we get to who it actually is kind of deal. So, so there's a lot of similarities. Uh, I was very thankful that the dance sequences were fucking short in this movie because <laughs> we've done two movies this year that had ridiculously long fucking dance sequences. And in this one, it's like, it's kind of, it's, it's what it's supposed to be, which is a backdrop to the whole thing and kind of yeah. just our yeah, set we, we, we spend very little time in the high school dance overall in comparison to how much time we spend away trying to track down who's doing the killing so uh, yeah i was i'm with you on that one very thankful for that and i remembered that this starts off in the 50s but i had kind of forgotten that uh after the opening credits basically this jumps forward 30 years and it's like the early 80s basically um a lot of the a lot of the cast in this i think is kind of bland like there's this really has almost no characters besides like the hotel guy that really stand out to me (laughs) the cop is uh, super generic. I, I, I really had thought I'd seen the guy that plays Marcus, the, the deputy cop somewhere, but I looked it up and he's like literally only done this and like a bunch of TV basically. Mm. Uh, he was on like Charlie's Angels and some other like 70s shows at the time basically. He's kind of bland as fuck and spends a good chunk of this movie just wandering around in the dark like uh, just, you know, basically being the the main chick's like chaperone through a lot of this and is kind of, I don't know, he's kind of a useless character. 90% of his script is saying the words Major Chatham. Yep. What about like, Major Chatham? Well, she go to Major Chatham's house. Major Chatham, Major Chatham, Major Chatham. I was like, I understand he was a major at one point. I also understand that you could just call him by his first name, Tom. Because <laughs> you're the police officer. You get yep. to do that. Of all the people in the community, you get to do that because you're a police officer. Tom, is Tom here? Or is it not? No, Major Chatham, Major Chatham, Major, Major Chatham was running to... Why is Major Chatham out? He says... And I was just like, oh, fuck. It's also kind of crazy to me that they got Lawrence Tierney to play Major Chatham and he's in like three shots of the whole fucking movie and has yep. zero dialogue. 
Yeah, he's like that. I, I get to sit for this entire role. <laughs> and they're like, yeah, yes, you can sit down. Yes. Easy ass <laughs> paycheck for him to collect, but in, in my opinion, kind of a waste of Lord's tyranny. That's, that's the second uh, tyranny appearance on the, on on season two of this show. Anyway, mm-hmm. if you, you might recall, he popped up in uh, uh, Midnight, the the John Russo movie. <laughs> Yeah, which he's way better and way scarier and way creepier in that movie. But uh, yeah, anyway. yeah, yeah, it has it has stuff to do, Mark. <laughs> right. Um, I really like the score to this movie. It's mm-hmm. not again. It does kind of the same thing the cinematography does. It doesn't really call attention to itself, but it like serves a purpose and um, is like kind of just lurking in the background of the whole movie. And like you don't really notice it until you do. Kind of deal like. Uh, drastically different from the score from fucking Deep Red, which we'll get to, which is like a character <laughs> unto itself, basically. Um, but yeah, the the Prowler's really good. I, I, don't, I don't know. Really, my only beef with this, like I said, I think a lot of the characters are kind of bland, and I think it has about 15 or 20 minutes, like, towards the... It, this movie kind of shoots its load a little too early, I think, maybe. Oh, yeah, you then... get some, like, primo top-level slasher kills really, really early, and as a result... It's very difficult to ramp up beyond that. I think it does a good job, but I don't think it ever... Like, until the shotgun blasts at the very end, um, like, kicking and then, you know, the head goes up. It, you know, it, 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 it sets you high precedent early in the movie that, you know, the kills never really go beyond that, you know, they, they never top the, the shower death scene um, at all until the very end of the movie, which is a weird thing to do like I mean usually you would ramp up and get more aggressive as the movie goes along and that's not to say they're not cool because it's Savini that's doing the effects and the camera lingers on the fact that these effects are good like that throat slit in the swimming pool is fucking great because not only is he grabbing her and pulling her head back and then doing it and you're seeing the blood but then the camera fixates on how deep quote unquote uh, how deep the knife is actually in her throat and right. it's a great, it's a great visual effect because it looks like that woman's head's been like is about to come off, and that sort of stuff. But it's not as gnarly as someone getting stabbed through the head with said bayonet, and someone getting impaled in the shower like off the ground um, with this pitchfork. So yeah, it's it's weird that they go down that route route early, and then by the end of the movie they're like. Uh, shotgun, yeah. <laughs> Savini can do a shotgun blast. Did you see Maniac last year? Oh, I did see Maniac, right? Because it does feel like, now that we're 100% is Savini, it does feel like a, a bit of a highlight reel of stuff Savini's done up to this point. I mean, yeah, the, I... the pitchfork death is, you know, tantamount to the, you know, the, what do you call it? The spear through the, although that was, that's interesting. That's the same year. The spear through the, the couple having sex is the second Friday the 13th I think yeah. as the second uh, both of them so both of them 81 uh, and both of them ripping off a Bava death from Bay of Blood so like, like literally ripping it off uh, fully yeah. from there so <laughs> That's right. I, uh, yeah which doesn't surprise me that Savini what surprises me Savini does it here but didn't do the one in the other slasher movie this year that's kind of fun. Um, so it must have just played somewhere, like like a month before. Beta or Twitch of the Death Nair, we'll watch it, yeah. Ah, it's going in my movie. Because it's a great... <laughs> I love that. I love that death because there's something... As a as a death idea, the fact that someone you could stare into someone, your lover, quote-unquote, uh, 
stare into her lover's eyes as he's dying and then what's killing him ultimately comes through to kill you and there's nothing you can do about it it's kind of fucking terrifying (laughs) yeah it really really is and they they do it really well a pitchfork that's a slow death mark that that ain't no quick death (laughs) that takes time he has to put his foot on it to push in I mean you're a gardener now um, I mean, like you gotta like, work for it sometimes. Like, even just tilling the ground takes an effort. Imagine putting it through a human body. Then, now imagine there's another human body there. That's like that's like being all satisfied that you're gonna dig to plant some things, and you come across a big ass rock. You're like, oh no, I'm gonna have to. Dig well, yeah, and it's it's it, it, it's a form of violence that probably a good chunk of the audience has like either envisioned or at least like kind of understands. Like, I I don't know what like a gunshot wound feels like, course, and yeah, hopefully yeah. I never will. But I. I have, you know, the held garden implements in my hands and been like, I wonder what it would be like if I just fucking got stabbed with this or if I, if I, I like, tripped over something yeah. and fell on my fucking garden hoe or my pitchfork or something. Like, that. that's a little more easy to understand and a little yeah. more relatable. Yeah, so I think I think you're right. I think there, the, it, it sets a precedent of, of violence and death at the 30-minute mark that the movie takes until the end to not even equal but better. So I think that's I think that's a fair point. Which which going back like to to prom night one more time an hour before we even get into the fucking first kill it do, it oh, does yeah. the opposite thing where it saves all the juicy shit for the end and it's like I think less satisfying because that first hour is a fucking slog to get through <laughs> kind of. I totally agree. Like um, that movie, like we said before, has some serious issues. The Prowler, I I like how lean it is. It's just a lean, lean, lean slasher. They know that they need a vehicle uh, to to have a killer dressed in this way. So we set up a protracted kind of backstory of like a war hero coming back, and his girl's gone, and he's going to be he's going to be a madman. And now we're jumping forward, and as a way for the sheriff to keep these kids from a fucking mark, which they'll do, uh, you know, and keep this day sacred. Uh, you know, he's going to don. He digs up a cork. Just there's so many things about it that I, I like. I say that I just it made me. I, I, I like, and I'm with you. The, the characters are bland, but I, I actually don't mind bland characters in a slasher movie over fucking horrendous, obnoxious ones. There's That's not true. a lot. Yeah, there's not a lot in here that can make me angry about those characters. A couple of them do some things that I'm like, that's just fucking stupid. Um, but you know, like I, I will take the bland character over the. Oh no, man! You know, like I'm a, I'm a, I'm a fucking, I am the worst stereotype of a stoner in this movie that behaves not like a stoner would behave and crack fucking dope jokes all the way through it. And um, you know, feel sorry for me when this killer stabs me. Well, you've literally proved yourself to be a moron all the way throughout the movie. I'm surprised it took this long. I'm surprised you didn't kill yourself um, because it's well, just behave this... like real people. If you know what I mean, like at this all. Mo- this movie's got a couple of stoners in it that I had yep. also completely forgotten about, and that is the extent of the the stoner aspect of their character is that one of the girls walks into the dorm and asks the other if she's got rolling papers. That's it. Doesn't come back up ever fucking again. It's yep. just there. Yeah, like, they're which not, is, they're not that's real life. bad Cheech and Chong ripoffs. <laughs> you know like, I mean? that's, that's literally like, like Friday the 13th Part 3 when they're sitting in the back of the van. You know, yeah. like, oh, like, and they're clearly about forty years older than the rest of the kids in there, <laughs> which that's just fucking wrong and creepy. But you know, like, yeah, I, I think <laughs> there's, yeah, I, I think there's, a, there's something to say for maybe not giving you the memorable characters that you, well, not even memorable, just not giving you like 
the the caricatures there and just playing it a bit beige. Um, yeah. And you know, there's, I, I wouldn't want it in every slasher movie, but I think it, I think it surprisingly works. And I actually really kind of like the the main character Pam. I'm pretty sure. Or, yeah, yeah Pam, Pam. Pam's brilliant. Yeah, I really like her as well. She uh, reminded me a lot of uh, what's her name, Adrian King from Friday the Thirteenth Part Two. Yes, they, they, they look kind of similar. Right? They're both really really good actors. Uh, same year as well. Again, not not to liken that, but the same year as well. So. Kind of a bummer. Vicky Dawson, who plays Pam, doesn't have a fucking Wikipedia page, so I'm gonna assume that she probably did nothing after this or nothing, nothing of note. Anyway, that's that's yeah. kind of a, a shame. I, th- I thought she was really good in this, actually. Yeah, I, I agree. I think she was. I, th- I thought she was really, really, really good, and it sells it. You know, I mean, she's hysterical in parts, but not to the point where I'm like, right, we're we're going a bit overboard. Um, I love the scene where she first encounters the you know the prowler and she's trying to get out of the dorm um and that's she, she can haul ass in those fucking high heels she Holy runs shit. she she belts it downstairs round corners and heels and that in itself is a fucking gift um that should be that should be in the olympics and they should give the award to her uh yeah overall like i say i thought it was i, I yeah i was surprised at how much i enjoyed it um anything else you want to say or will we will we assign uh, a little doing the nasty grade tip I, I think we pretty well covered this one. Yeah, this, this is one I watch every couple of years, it seems, and uh, I always kind of forget that. Yeah, this has, this has like some of the best kills I, th- I think in in like a lot of the definitely a lot of the '80s like slasher movies. This is this is kind of required viewing just just for the insane fucking kills in this movie. <laughs> oh yes. Um, as you will know out there, people, we run a little system of grading on doing the nasty, which doesn't assign like like number values or ABC or whatever. What we do is we play it a bit fun and we say, imagine being a censor back at this point. How would you grade this movie? Would you give it some hard time, as in like what you're seeing right now is so hardcore and so reprehensible that it will scar a generation for years? Um, or would you give it some community service, acknowledging that it gets a bit risky, maybe pushes the boundary, maybe maybe you know transgresses over the line a little bit, but not in a way which is going to detrimentally affect the youth of the nation? Or do we give it a little bit of a slap on the wrist, whilst recognising that it can be a bit violent, a bit risky in parts? It doesn't necessarily do anything that is likely to traumatise anyone, or do we give it the good old-fashioned case dismissed and um, very much like a, a Trump appeal in America, uh, laugh it out the door <laughs> as it as it disappears. <laughs> um, it's a lot of them happening right now, and it, it does my heart proud. Every time it happens, I read the statements uh, from your Supreme Court, and I'm just like, this is two seconds away from from that scene where Patrick Bateman tries to get a reservation at Dorsia and the guy laughs down the phone. Uh, you know, it's like, yeah. <laughs> you want what? <laughs> um, so, yeah, I, I, for this one, I mean, it is violent, but there's no sex really associated with that violence, which is interesting for the time period specifically. And right. it's actually, there's not a huge amount of nudity either, which once again, for 81 in a slasher movie, very surprising. Um, but it does have some pretty gnarly violence. I mean, the most I could go with this is a slap on the wrist. Even with the violence, there's at no part in this movie here that something's happening that, you know, makes me think... Oh well, I've you know this is this is literally traumatizing everyone that watches it. I think the special effects are handled really well, but it's still very clear they're special effects. Um, yeah. And there's no like I say, no sexual violence or anything like that in it. 
Um, so yeah, I mean, it's a slap on the wrist for me. What about yourself? Yeah, I mean, it's like surface level on this movie, and if you, if I if I were a censor back in the day, it's pretty bloody, it's pretty gruesome, especially the shotgun blast at the end is like super gnarly and chunky, or even the shotgun blast like before the shotgun blast, where mm-hmm. like we get the fake out and we think the killer's dead and the fucking old man is like he he just kicked in the door and shot the fucking prowler. And then he gets shot, and it just, like, that door that's right behind him that's, like, perfectly painted, just, like, flat white that gets painted with this guy's fucking guts when he gets shot with the fucking shotgun. It's pretty gnarly, even, like, even, man, I'd say even by today's standards, this is pretty fucking bloody. But that's about it. Like, there's no, there's not, like, a bunch of, like... You know, violence against women, like you said, there's not really like uh, like a lot of like an- like anti-religious like kind of sentiments like some of our movies had. Really, I think subtextually you could maybe make the argument that this movie's kind of about PTSD and how we fuck up our troops when we send them over to war. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that's uh, you know you know that's that's way beneath the surface kind of and uh, probably a conversation for a, a different kind of show. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, as far as this one goes, I would, I I I, I do really think that probably. The, the cover originally and maybe the alternate title might add something to do with why this this got the snip because really a lot of things about this are like a lot more subtle I think than a lot of the slasher movies that were coming out at the time even though the violence is like grand and explosive and fucking insane like everything else about this is kind of downplayed and like really isn't you know quite as in your face as a lot of the stuff at the time so I'd, I'd, I'd probably give this a little bit of community service because it's got a lot of the red stuff but that's about it yeah I, I think I think you're spot on I think you're spot on I think as well I, you know it doesn't surprise me and one of the things that I could never really quite equate and now I'm quite glad that I can now thinking back on it um, it doesn't surprise me having watched The Prowler and now, like the first time in, like I say, a long time and now really gravitating towards it to see, you know, where Zito himself would go to do, like, Friday Part 4. Um, because, you know, the direction in that one and the violence and the construction and all the rest, yes, there's a lot more nudity in it, but as was a Friday the 13th movie. Um you know, he's, he clearly was—he clearly was one of the better slasher directors um, out there, doing stuff. He had a real way of constructing movies, and I think, uh, you know, I knew they directed them, and it was always that thing where I was like, I really like that one, but I don't like the other one. Uh, yeah. and, and now coming back to it, I'm like, yeah, no, this makes sense. Uh, you know, I, I, I've, I've kind of turned in a wee, which I, which makes me happy, which makes me happy. Right, we have one more movie to discuss, and we are discussing <laughs> arguably one of my favourite directors. Who has ever lived? Uh, we're going to be doing a little bit of Deep Red by the maestro himself, Dario Argento. We are going to take a very short break. You're going to hear learned folk talk about this movie. Um, I imagine it's likely to be Alan Jones that does the talking for this, and that Alan Jones literally wrote the book on Dario Argento. Um, and he was on set for, I want to say he was on set for Deep Red, and if it wasn't Deep Red, it was Suspiria. So um, the guy knows his shit, so I imagine he's talking about it. Um, and then you'll hear the trailer. When we return, we are discussing Deep Red right after this. Shallow masterpiece, Deep Red. Here it is, Fletcher Video. 
complete with warning on the cover. It contains uh, scenes of a graphic nature, which is probably the reason why the police kept focusing on it all the time. Um, they really didn't do themselves any favours, did they, these video companies, by actually sort of exploiting uh, the horrific nature of it. They actually focused more attention on it as a result. Um, this is the uh, English language export version, so it doesn't actually have um, the elongated section in the middle where uh, David Hemmings goes all the way through that house. But it does have all the violence intact. So of course, that's one of the reasons why Darry was quite famous for his movies at the time. I mean, this comes between um, the Animal Trilogy and his uh, supernatural work, Suspiria and Inferno. It's clearly a transitional movie in the fact that he used Goblin, and you can see the style sort of um, developing uh, really nicely. There's a real sort of like a gothic contemporary ambience about Deep Red that I really like. Um, it came after Argento's only flop, really, The Five Days of Milan, a historical romance that he should never have made. He knew it, and he wanted to get out of the jello industry, really, because so many other people were copying him. But, of course, when he got back into it, it was with this film, and it's one of the, uh, the highlights of the whole genre. It stars David Hemmings, mainly because Hemmings was the star of Blow Up, the Michelangelo Antonioni swinging 60s movie. It shares a lot of themes with that. It's where he met Daria Nicolodi, of course. Um, he's always told me that's one of the reasons why the film is quite um, joyful. Um, it focuses on romance quite a lot because it was in the early days of their own relationship. I mean, Profondo Rosso is one of those films that has so many titles. I mean, Deep Red, Suspiria 2, it was released under in Japan to cash in on Suspiria because it was released after then. The Hatchet Murders in America, which I thought was, a, you know, a pretty sort of crude titling for it. Deliberately theatrical, the film opens with uh, curtains being parted and you go through to the parapsychology debate. It's an interesting film for me because um, before you see each murder, you actually see um, it being predicted in very unusual ways, like David Hemmings will burn himself on a coffee machine and then the next scene will be the actual death from burning. So if you look at it through that all the way through, you'll see that the, uh, the whole um, medium side of the, the plot really does pan out quite well. To help him reinterpret his Jallo themes, Dario chose Bernardino Zapponi, who was actually Fellini's scriptwriter on Toby Dammit, one of the best sections of Spirits of the Dead. Um, that's one of the reasons why I think it uh, is, is quite well written for an Argento picture. And although people think it's actually set in Rome, and it's actually mentioned as being set in Rome, Dario actually did film this in Turin. Now, he's always filmed his movies in Turin because he said that it's actually one of the most... Um, hot spots of Satanism in the entire world. And um, he says more Satanists live in Turin than live anywhere else. I mean, now whether this is true or not, I, I don't know. But Turin, of course, was also the, uh, uh, the beginning of the Italian film industry. It was never Rome, it was always in Turin. Um, but of course, Mussolini moved it from Turin to Rome to keep it under more his control. So going to Turin for Dario is, is like going back to the roots of Italian cinema, and especially with the whole Satanism angle. In fact, this title has a life beyond the film, of course, because Profondo Rosso was the name of the shop that he and Luigi Cozzi decided to open in Rome, which is still going. And if you want to go and visit Luigi Cozzi, he's there behind the counter every day, the Via dei Gracchi. So go and see him. <coughs> Thank you.
killed him. And you will kill again. You're getting closer and closer to the most unnatural kind of death. Beyond shock. What was that? Beyond horror into total terror. Murder runs wild. Blood runs cold. Deep red. The conjecture is that an act of bloodshed was once committed in that house. running with you. Welcome back. So you've just heard the trailer for Deep Red from 1975. This is directed by Dario Argento, based on screenplay by Dario Argento and Bernardino Zapponi. Uh, the movie itself, here we go. Uh, David Hemmings, Daria Nicolodi, who has sadly passed in the last month, uh, yeah. which, which was a bit of a bummer. Uh, Gabriel uh, Lavia. Well, yeah, that, well, that, I mean, that maybe. I don't know. <laughs> hey, <Matt Chabelle. laughs> Good enough. <laughs> Close enough. Eros Pagnini, Guliana uh, Cadaldra, Piero Mazag... I don't know why I do this to myself. Uh, and I'm just gonna, I'm just going to stop uh, and say that the synopsis for this one on IMDb is a jazz pianist and a wisecracking journalist are pulled into a complex web of mystery after former witnesses to the brutal murder of a psychic. So, I mean, I'll take point on this one. Uh, I'll try and not dominate the conversation. Anyone that's listened to anything I've done over the years will know I am 100% in love with Dario Argento as a filmmaker. And Deep Red is maybe... Deep Red's, to me, the first giallo that is out and out a horror movie and not a crime thriller or crime mystery horror movie. This one is fucking gnarly and Argento comes out like a boss and reinvents the genre that he didn't invent but certainly popularised um, 
I mean, it follows all the the I was going to say the trappings, all the setup of the kind of Rosetta Stoney setup in Bird with the Crystal Plumage. It follows that same formula. It doesn't deviate from it at all. He just gets violent. Um, now, you can look at this a couple of ways. The movie he made before this was the first movie that he'd done out with the genre, and it failed. So he did his, uh, his animal trilogy, and then was like, I'm going to make a, like a period drama, and no one liked that movie. And he's like, you know what? I'm going to kill everyone. <laughs> and Profondo Rosso was born. There's so much about this movie that is ahead of its time. Uh, one, the, the the genius choice of bringing in Goblin, and we'll get a chance to talk about that in a minute, uh, to score this movie, uh, you know, it, to me is the first great example of someone saying, you know what, I, I, want a, I want a group, a band to construct, you know, this proggy weird soundtrack around what I'm doing. I think it's, it's a very, very smart choice. Uh, the use of colour, which is always one of our gentle strengths, is phenomenal in this one. I really like the idea of the murder mystery as well. This one is one that does keep you guessing right to the very end, but the balls of Argento to basically, in the first five minutes of this movie, show you who the killer is, that if your eyes aren't trained, which it wouldn't be the first time you would look at it, um, you will, you'll you gloss right past it, very much like Hemming's character himself. And then you spend the whole movie with him trying to recall what it was that he saw because you were at, you saw through his eyes as he was walking on that corridor. It's fucking genius. So you are the Hemmings character in this one trying to work it out. And of course with Blu-ray and DVD and all that right now, you can pause it right there and see that the killer was on display in that scene. So there's no kind of trickery, which he could have pulled back in the day. He could have done a little bit of trickery because he's already got your money. Um, but he doesn't... <laughs> You know what I mean? At that point, you don't give a fuck. Um, but, you know, it's, it, it, it's there. The deaths are brilliant. They are so over the top because this is our gentle. Like, the, the death of Carlo is one of the most ridiculous things in cinema. Only only bested by, I believe, I think it's Four Flies in Grey Velvet, has a very similar death where someone gets caught in the back of a lorry and <laughs> dragged uh, to their death. Um or like in was it a cat and nine tails where someone is pushed in front of a train and we actually see like a dummy being scraped right like that's not how death by the train goes over you and you're dead uh, but there's like no he's his face is like getting fucking scrawled right across his train track <laughs> or, or the the elevator scene in that in that same movie as well where the guy holds on to he's falling down and he tries to hold the railings I don't know have you ever seen cat and nine tails. I, I have not. I, oh, I just picked up the Blu-rays for that and Bird with Crystal Plumage, which I also cannot remember if I've ever seen. And oh, Deep dude, Red I for envy like you. Bucks. I envy you so fucking much. Like the death, like there's the death of the revealed killer. I won't tell you who it is. And a and Cat and Nine Tails uh, is in an elevator shaft, and they trip backwards into it, and then they start falling down, and they grab a hold of the the cable wires. Oh. And, and but apparently they, they don't know how to ungrab them, so you see the smoke come off their hands as they're they're, they're like fucking down And Argento just gives the audience what they want, and that's what I kind of love about him. Um, now, interestingly enough, I would assume it was the Italian version of this movie that was banned because the cut, the, what they class as the international cut, is actually cut for America. I don't think it was cut for UK. Um, and as such, 
if you watch the American version, which is fine, it's a, it's a lean version of this movie, it's the more giallo version of the movie, if we're being honest, uh, it removes a lot of the fun. Uh, like the, the, In here they're talking about the wisecracking journalist played by Daria Nicolodi. In the Italian one, she's a, she's a lot more playful. Um, but a, I mean, you're essentially, the difference in cuts like about 20 minutes. So they move like huge subsections of their kind of back and forth kind of playful uh, one-upping of each other. Uh, it's kind of removed to an extent. The, the most you get in the American cut is the arm wrestling scene and that's about it. Uh, but also like, in the American one, they really double down that she might be the killer. Like really, really, really double down on it. The fact that, you know, she appears on the scene saying that she's been at the the psychic reading at the beginning. She can't really account for where she's been. She appears after murders and she's also wearing the same eye makeup as the killer. That's kind of right. Black they really, really lean into that in the American one. In the Italian one, it's not obvious at all. Um and also with the uh, the American one, they, they strip out a whole subplot about the, the Carlo character who drinks heavily. The reason Carlo drinks heavily is because he's gay and it's frowned upon at the time. Um, and it's him basically trying to... Also the fact that he has witnessed something that he shouldn't have, um, which has fucked him up horribly, uh, as you'll see later on in the movie. Um, there's you know there's a lot of that that kind of travels with it that we just don't delve into in the American one. And I, can, I get it. American audiences, this this was not playing to every theatre, this was playing to certain theatres, and the people just want a horror movie, so I can see why they did it, and it's not uncommon for our gentle movies to be cut upon their American release, uh, right. you know, re-edited to make them a lot more violent, and maybe to an extent less story-driven, less fanciful. Um, the Goblin score is luscious, some of the camera work, particularly, there's a great scene where Hemmings is playing the piano, uh, and it's the first time the killer tries to stalk him and as he's playing this the camera work throughout his apartment block leaning up to the kind of glass tiles on the ceiling um, all that stuff is just uh, it's fucking incredible I mean we can talk about how silly some of it is and some of it is very very silly um, I mean the, the most iconic scene in this movie is most likely the clockwork doll for no reason and, and there's no purpose for this clockwork doll, out with the fact it resembles what Carlo looked like as a child, and that's that is it. Um, I was going to ask you about that because yeah, that's that's definitely I think one of the most iconic shots in this movie, probably. And I I've seen this a few times, and I still don't know why why the fuck the dummy is in this movie. What the yeah. hell has to do with anything? Because Argento, Argento's like you know what would be really creepy right now if a clockwork <laughs> dummy came. I, I I literally think that was the thought rationale behind it, and I think he's right. And the beauty of it is, I always. I always have a because they stop the music. It's doing that digga 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 digga. You know, Goblin score but up, and then they go dun, and then it goes silent, and then you're like, well, this should be where the scare happens. Well, no, this should be where the scare happens. This should be where the and then the door flies open, and this ah, creepy fucking doll comes out. Um, you know, I'm like, I, I think it's just, I think it's just because he liked the idea of it. And I think sometimes that's... Like, in the world of Argento, I think that's cool. I, I think he's one of those guys that's just like that. This will scare people. Right, it makes not a fucking lick of sense. doesn't add anything to the plot. Um, and, like, it's the tenuous link is it does look like the young Carlo uh, from the flashback sequences. But that's about it. 
how it got yeah. designed did the mother develop it is she a, a, can she make mechanical clockwork people um, like, we don't go into any of that at all and that's cool I mean like, like I say it's just it's so bizarre and so off to the side but I think it speaks to the surreal cinema of Dario Argento um, yeah it's another one which gets really nasty in bits with some of the deaths like to the point where like he makes a huge step up here he was already doing like by um, Four Flies and Grey Velvet things were getting kind of violent in these movies um, and we take a big jump up here to the point where it feels you feel the death in this one you feel the woman's face being scalded in the water you feel the guy's teeth being smashed off uh, you know a mantelpiece and a table because of the sim design um, yeah. you know like we, we get all that um, and he really goes for a kind of textured approach to how he's, he does this in his horror there's a really tactile uncomfortable feel about it which I kind of love that it really doubles down on from this point onwards I mean the next movie Suspiria and a woman walks into a fucking room full of uh, barbed wire for no reason <laughs> like the door and there's just a room full yeah. of barbed wire uh, they've got more around in it ah you know, this is just Argento Argento's like ah, fuck it it doesn't need to make sense it just needs to look painful and upset people um, so you get all that as well and at the core I kind of like the mystery I think the mystery's pretty cool um, I've said it many times before PC's the great Spanish full giallo basically rips off Deep Red and I love the fact that it does um, even down to its score I mean the score in PC's you know is like a, a, a version of the you know like, la 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 they are very they, similar they're hugely similar and there's a, a, it's a trauma with a kid who has a weapon, and then it's, you know, the the fact that what triggers the mother off here is she goes to a psychic reading where the psychic recalls the pain of that death, which then means that she has to kill this psychic and then other people involved with it and around it. I, I mean, it's the, the pieces is exactly the same. Something smashes, a, a student smashes through an Acme plain glass window that's been pulled out of a house by two workmen, which triggers the killer off to start, you know, killing people because he remembers before he murdered his mum she smashed a mirror so fine whatever um, that's how psychology works and, and there's so much about it though that I just think is is fun Daria Nicolodi is fucking amazing in this she's fun she is a strong female character in the genre which didn't have a huge amount of strong female characters um, that weren't there basically to flash their tits uh, she's, she's brilliant she's playful fun it's great to see her do those roles um and yeah, even David Hemmings, who hams it up a lot of the way through this movie in a delightful way. Oh, I don't know about that. I need to go what what. Like, literally. Um, but it's the Argento show from start to finish. Argento is... Like, he plays all the gloved killers in all his movies. So the glove that's killing someone is Argento, uh, which says a lot about him. Um, you know, like, he's, he's designing and crafting a giallo for a time period where people were no longer going to see Jallos. Jallos like um, Slashers, their heyday was about three years. Like from about 70 to 73, maybe at a push 74, was their, the height of them and then they were losing interest. People, there was a reason he jumped away from doing them when he did. People stopped going to see them as much and then Argento comes back like a fucking boss, lays down his big massive Jallo dick on the table and demands that you look at it veins and all um, and it's difficult to look away because look how big it is um, I, I, I think it's I think it's a 
the conversation will always go, what is his best Jallo? His best Jallo is Deep Red. It's maybe not my, my favourite Argento, and there are other Argento movies that I think are better than this, but in terms of the Jallo confine that he created in 1970 with Bird with the Crystal Plumage, this is where he perfected that. Um, it took him a couple of movies and a bit of, a bit of pain, but I come back with it swinging. Uh, yeah, it's it's really, really, really fucking good. Like really, really, really good. But I, like I say, am biased. <laughs> like I'm a biased bastard. Uh, you maybe don't have the same degree of bias that I do when it comes to the the old Argento. Um, you'd seen it before. You said it'd been a while. What did you make of Deep Red? I, yeah, I think I think the last time I, I actually went and bought the Arrow Blu-ray of nice. Deep Red for this recording because I think the last time I'd watched this was on fucking VHS and it's this it's the same it, it, the the it's called the director's cut on the Blu-ray I don't I don't really, this is basically just the extended cut of this that's like two hours and seventy minutes or two hours and seven minutes sorry um, and yeah Anchor Bay actually put out a VHS of this that looked definitely for the time fucking gorgeous like back in uh, like the late 90s early 2000s somewhere around in there when they were starting to put a lot of these out on those really nice collectors clamshell vhs copies that was the last time i'd watched this this uh, was probably six or seven years ago at this point so i i kind of i i definitely remember the score i i listened to the score to this like pretty pretty Regularly, I don't know if I own a vinyl, but I definitely own like a lot of Goblin, and I'm pretty sure this is on at least one of those somewhere. This is maybe some of my favorite Goblin music. I I, I think like this is, um, it's 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 su- it's such a weird like, especially for the time. I I can't imagine sitting and watching this like at the time and hearing that score. That's just such a weird fusion of like prog rock and jazz and like there's some piano stuff in there there's lots of crazy weird like you, you still you sort of start getting glimpses of like what the suspiria soundtrack would be which is lots of weird ambient crazy synth randomness and like found object sounding type of shit mm-hmm. you get a little bit of that in deep red but yeah a lot of it is like very uh very prog rock inspired and very like bass guitar driven and I absolutely fucking adore the score to this this movie. Uh, the the movie I think is really good. I think I, it might maybe at two hours and seven minutes it might be a touch long. I think, <laughs> but it's also kind of a movie that like I want to live in this world for like as long as humanly possible. Like it doesn't ever really like I don't know. It, it starts to feel a little bit long towards like the the you know towards the end, but like I, I still. Like he he does such an amazing job of just building this whole world that this thing takes place in, and it's not even like a a fantastical world. It's just like a weird, isolated slice of Europe where crazy shit is going on, and it's not out of the question that there's like psychics that can read your mind and fucking creepy like witch children and like just all kinds of weirdness <laughs> crammed into this fucking thing, and um, yeah, I I I genuinely kind of forgotten how this movie ends. So, like, I, I, I really think a lot of the red herrings that they throw at you, like, maybe it's the reporter, maybe it's the creepy little red-headed girl that fucking sticks pins in fucking animals and shit, which, man, I'd forgotten all about that. Yeah, a little yeah, bit of warning. Our dad as well, our dad at one point's like that, yeah, I don't know where she, like, I don't know where she got that drawn from. Oh, by the way, you should see the other shit she draws, and I'm like, 
It's just like, a, like her dad is just like it's like she's creepy, she's fucking weird, right? I don't want to have to deal with her. Yes, by all means, David Hemmings, keep grabbing her arm in that physically forceful way to find the way she drew this picture. Yeah, I kind of I kind of thought that scene was gonna go somewhere different. Yeah, if that, was, if that was a different movie we'd watch this year, that that would that would have been the end of our main character right there. Who once again his name his name's Marcus in this movie, isn't it? Or Mark? Yep. Marcus Daly. Two fucking movies with a dude with dudes named Mark, and uh, mm-hmm. yeah, neither neither one are you know ter- terribly obnoxious. I, I think I've said on this show before. A lot of the time when characters are named Mark in movies, they're fucking assholes, and I hate them. <laughs> Uh, not yeah, not so much the case in this one. Uh, our our main character Mark in this one is kind of he's kind of obnoxious at the beginning, and like in the Italian cut, you have that scene where like they're they're he's basically talking shit on like feminism at some point, and he's like a liberated woman is the hardest to deal with, and she just like shuts him down and whips his ass in a fucking arm wrestling match. And uh, once again, uh, yeah. I think like as Argento gets like such a fucking bad rap. For being like, because it's all women, anti-women, yeah. Yeah, and like, it's like if you really look at his, he writes strong female characters. He does not all the time. Yes, women die a lot in these movies, Um, but you know, there's a few men that die in this movie. So I mean, I I think it's, I think it's unfair. It's very easy to do it, but it's very unfair. I mean, Suspiria is all about female empowerment to an extent. Very female characters in that movie, but he's a he's a woman hater. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. I, I don't think that's the case at all. And I, I only had a chance to dip into a little bit of the special features on the disc. It's got a bunch of shit. The Arrow version of this. So I, I watched part of an interview with Argento. I don't know how long ago. This was probably shot a long time ago, like when this came out on like DVD originally or something. But uh, he said a few things, and I, I only needed to watch about five minutes of this. And I was like, okay, I kind of get it now. Uh, he, he first he like he he mentions the thing about the femi- feminism thing and he's like no I, I absolutely don't fucking believe that and I, actually I like I think you know quote unquote liberated women are easier to work with like the more liberated the easier to work with so he shuts that down real quick and then he kind of mentions like what he kind of I think feels this movie is really about which is uh, at the time he felt a lot of. Uh, animosity and turmoil basically stemming from his family and uh, his perceived obligations to his family and the fact Mm -hmm. that he really didn't get along with his dad growing up. Um, Right then and there, like, I was like, okay, that's what this movie is kind of about because even Mark mentions it in that same scene where they're they're arguing about feminism or whatever. Um, he, He says something like, well, my psychiatrist would say that I am this way because I hate my father. And I'm just like, boom, he is fucking Argento. He, he he does this in like almost all of his movies too, where he makes like a a sensitive artistic person kind of our main character. Even yeah. even like Suspiria, like the, the main chick, she's you know, she's a she's a ballet dancer, she's kinda naive, like she's uh like a, a fish in water almost kind of deal. Uh it's it's really the same thing here. Mark is our fish a fish out of water, I guess you'd say. Mm-hmm. And uh, um so yeah, that that and yeah, and it goes back to the same thing, like with with Carlos's character and why he 
turns out kind of fucked up is because his dad was a piece of shit. His mom yeah. fucking stabbed him on presumably like Christmas morning or something. Well, yeah, well, you could you could argue <laughs> this movie's totes a Christmas movie, and it's landed perfectly in December. Yeah, you could argue this is a Christmas movie. Yeah, because uh, all the drawings well. of all the recreated drawings of the murder scenes have a Christmas tree in the background. So. Yep. <laughs> So yeah, there, there's there's a lot. Of, I I feel like we could spend a, a long fucking time kind of dissecting like what this movie's really about, and uh, it it definitely tries to throw you in a lot of different directions. Like I said, there's a lot of red herrings in this movie that aren't done as comically bad as like pieces' uh, red herrings are. Like it's it's <laughs> never. I don't feel like it's ever super, even though, like you said, they say, they show it in the fucking one of the first scenes of this movie, who the killer is. It didn't really, it didn't really add up to me until like the very end. And I was like, oh shit. Yeah, I guess that makes perfect sense. Uh, So yeah, really, really well constructed murder mystery along with crazy visuals, along with one of my favorite scores of all time. Like, uh, this movie's a goddamn masterpiece. Like this is this is absolutely fucking. Even if you don't give a shit about Italian cinema at all, or really like, if you don't give a shit about Dario Argento, I still kind of feel like you owe it to yourself to at least see this and Suspiria. Mm-hmm. I think are probably his two strongest movies and two very different movies, but also uh, like I don't know. It's it's kind of fun to see how his movies evolved over the years, like between like this and then Suspiria and then Inferno came a little after and then Tenebrae mm-hmm. came a few years later uh, like a lot lots of similar themes explored in a lot of Argento's movies and uh, like you know his craft just gets better and better his movies just look I think better and better the further along he goes and he does more ambitious shit there's a lot of really ambitious like camera work in this movie the camera oh, yeah. really seems to zoom around like it's a fucking entity in itself and yeah like it's it's so like so ostentatious is the word that comes to mind the same reason i, I love like kind of when you're going towards like early 80s brian de palma who's clearly influenced everyone's like hitchcock hitchcock yeah to an extent but clearly it takes a lot from Argento, although he will deny it vehemently um, right because you, you you look at uh, like Dress to Kill, for example, which is another movie I watched recently, which I deeply adore, and some of the camera work in that in the in the museum at the beginning is just it's Argento. It's this camera moving like, and it has to be like worked out and choreographed to the the nth degree, or the the shot doesn't work. And that's just how Argento rolls. That I I think, and that's sadly the the criticism of all of him is over time. He is more obsessed with that than he is necessarily about what his actors are doing. So, and he says in interviews, and I kind of love it. He's like that. Well, no, I'm paid to direct the film. They're paid to act. <laughs> it's not. It's not for me to to be there to critique their acting performance. My job here is to make the movie look good. So, right. and it's you're like, yeah, that's right to an extent, but also you kind of need to be on your actors, <laughs> otherwise. They're, you know, not going to phone it in, but they don't know if this is the cut that you're wanting. They don't know if you want it delivered this way or not. Uh, and he has a lot of run-ins with them. But back at this point, he was just, like, fucking peacocking like a motherfucker. And I love every second of it. Um, Deep Red's an interesting one as well when I come to think of grading. Because very much like the previous movie, uh, I think there's, there's gnarly violence in this. But I don't think that violence 
comes at a level where I'm like, oh my god, you know, this is you know, this is good to scare anyone that watches it. And also, there's a distinct lack of uh, nudity um, and you know, kind of sexual violence as well. That doesn't happen here because that's not what the, the killer isn't getting off on what they're doing that way. Um, so yeah, I, I, interestingly enough, I come down on the same boat with this one where it's a slap on the wrists. I think like there's there's plenty of very gnarly violence in here, uh, for sure. That's graphic, but certainly no more graphic than a lot of the films of the time. Uh, and I wouldn't I wouldn't like there's a lot of them just passed right through the sensors without any issue at all. So yeah, I'm go- I'm gonna swing back then with a slap on the wrists for Deep Red. What about yourself, Mark? Man, I, I I hesitate to even like entertain the notion that like this is a movie that should be banned. Uh, to quote Indiana Jones, this belongs in a fucking museum. Uh, <laughs> nice. I mean, you you wouldn't ban like Psycho or fucking you know other other movies that like I think largely are considered a fucking masterpiece. And like you said, this this has some this has a bit of gnarly violence in it and like some kind of more like adult kind of themes, but. Uh, yeah, not not really a lot of like sexual stuff going on. There's, I don't remember any nudity in this really. If there was any, it was real brief. Uh, and and you know, once again, this has got that 3M fucking uh, stage paint blood that I kind of hate, but I, I think works really well for Argento because it kind of just goes along with the super ultra colorful nature of the rest of his movies. Um, yeah, I, I can't in good conscience give this anything more than a slap on the wrist. This is, this is, this is top tier filmmaking. Like this, this belongs in a fucking museum. And the the fact that like, yeah. the fact that they re- tried to rebrand this as the Hatchet Murders and make it look like a corny <laughs> exploitation movie, I think is kind of offensive to the source material because it's so much better than that. And I, I I I didn't really double check, but I'm pretty sure that's the version that's maybe on that on the nasty list is it's it's called the hatchet murders which is even weirder because yeah it's going to be the shorter cut of this which i guess probably still has all the violence but has a lot of the like more talky scenes cut out of it it's it's context yeah they take out a lot of the context behind it so it 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 simplifies a lot of the story and makes it more focused on the killer which i know why you would do that if you were recutting it for a foreign foreign audience or an international audience but at the same time our general it's not fanciful stuff. I, I, that's one of the reasons I, I, I like his original cut. Is yes, it, two hours is a bit long, but there's tons of character. There's a lot of really, really good moments between Nickelodeon's character and Hemming's character, just their interactions, that are fun to sit through. And it adds yeah. a different dynamic to the movie, which I enjoy. It also gives you a bit more of the backstory on Carlo, who is a very instantly disposable character in the American cut. He shows up at the beginning, he shows up at the middle, telling him to leave town, uh, and then shows up at the end, where he's threatening to kill him, in a way where they're like, we've got our killer, and before Hemmings has to recreate it, I'm like that, it couldn't have been him, because he was with you when the person died. You know, yep. like, like, you know, like, so as the audience, if you're like, well, case closed, then that's a silly case closed. But even Hemmings at that point should have been like, well, that doesn't make any sense because he wasn't drunk. Um, you know, it removes a lot of that in the background, which, and there's some interactions with the mother who is the killer, um, which, you know, like going a bit more about like how fragile Carlo is as a character that I think, you know, you remove a lot of that out and you, you remove a lot of the, surprisingly well cut actually because you don't, like the, the cut that the American one 
it doesn't not make sense if you know what I mean it still gets to the end it just some of the journey to get there which are the fun parts of watching a murder mystery are just kind of gone yeah so. nice Mark nice Mark Ball Woo! right there we go that's our two movies we're going to take our final break of this episode when we return we will be telling you what our first two movies of 2021 are going to be and we'll be doing that right after this This is a test of the emergency podcasting system. Listen to the Psychosemantic Podcast. Politics, movies, and political movies. Find us on Facebook, iTunes, Stitcher, LegionPodcasts.com. The Psychosemantic Podcast. And you will be listening to Doing the Nasty Podcast. This has been Season 2, Episode Number 12, we've looked at a little bit of The Prowler and Deep Red. This is our last episode for the year. We will be returning at the end of January 2021 to bring you another two movies. And to say that I am excited would be an understatement. Both these movies, 1981. We're all in the 81 category now between The Prowler and these two movies. The year of my birth and what an exciting year it was for horror <laughs> in general. Uh, the first movie we will be tackling is Strange Behaviour from 1981. Uh, this one here is directed by Michael Lachlan. I think it's how you pronounce his name. Michael Lachlan, maybe. Sounds about right. Um, and it is, uh, for what looks like, a slasher movie. I've never seen this one before. Uh, it says a scientist experimenting with teenagers and turning them into murderers. That's literally the synopsis, which is terrible. Uh, but the poster <laughs> looks bitching. Um, it says... It's dead of night and everyone's asleep. Almost everybody. Which is me. That's insomnia. It's insomnia in a poster. Uh-huh. Um, and Rex Reed of the New York Daily News has a quote on the front that says, In a class by itself, a horror movie that shows you how to succeed in grisly gore without really trying. <laughs> I don't know if that's a compliment. It's a genuinely chilling, consistently imaginative, and it almost defies description from Rex Reed, which sounds like a made up name uh, the other movie we're doing oh it does my heart proud to welcome to season 2 of Doing the Nasty Mr David Cronenberg as we tackle his sci-fi horror thriller Scanners ah nice oh yes head shall explode in a very satisfying way uh, another one that's been a really long time since I've seen for some oh, reason oh man it is good 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 I like someone should have fucking given Ironside, a fucking Oscar for his performance. It is so over the top. Uh, it's kind of amazing. Um, I have the criterion of this, and I have yet to open it. So I've not watched this one in fucking years. In fact, the last time I watched this movie was for a David Cronenberg roundtable on Podcast Under the Stairs back in like 2015, 2016. Yeah, that was a while ago. So a long time ago. So I'm very much looking forward to getting back down and dirty with some scanners. Before we do that, before I let you pimp your wares, sir, uh, let me thank everyone who has checked out Doing the Nasties and its return in 2020. You've made it a very fun year for us. The usual suspects out there, I'm looking at my buddy Andy, who is working through all these movies as and when we are working through all of them, you sadist. And some of the other ones that are joining are buddy Tony, um, over with his podcast, well, technical 
technically it's not a podcast, although it's released like podcast, more like a webcast. Don't know what they call these things. Videocast. It's a YouTube show. Yeah, YouTube show. They're like, I'm so old, Mark, that these terms don't mean anything. <laughs> old man McLeish here doesn't get your YouTubes. Uh, so he's got a show on the YouTubes. I'm going to put that in there just to infuriate people. Um, but yeah, like people that are, are working through this with us, thank you very much. It, it does our hearts good that you are at times suffering with us, uh, at times not heeding our advice to voice certain movies, but also uh, like ticking some of these movies off your list. I think it's hugely important to experience the movies that caused the furore at the time uh, because at some way speaks to how ludicrous censorship laws are um, in fact most of the time it does uh, so thank you very much for that I hope you all have a phenomenal Christmas and a great new year and if you don't celebrate Christmas you enjoy your holidays regardless uh, Mark Ball I know you will want to extend the same wishes out there but you also want to extend some details on how people can interact with you online so the floor is yours sir yeah, find me. Uh, been most active on Twitter lately. That's at the fancy mark. Uh, probably here pretty quick. I'll start using the Instagram a little bit more. Uh, hopefully, Facebook uh, ends up getting broken up into a couple different companies, and Instagram can become its own thing again. Uh, that's fancy underscore mark. Uh, later today, I'm going to be recording a Christmas episode with a show I've never appeared on before. That is the Shelf Life, or it's called Shelf Life, a collector's podcast. Um, it's, it's primarily mostly about, uh, like action figure collecting and toys and stuff to describe it in a way that Duncan will understand. Imagine if our friends, Danny Traxon and Dr. Dark were like a little, little more polite. Uh, I, I think these dudes are from like Mississippi or somewhere and they have kind of the same dynamic as those two when they did like nice. a show that was just those two together. Uh, but imagine if they were a little bit more polite, and that's kind of what the Shelf Life podcast <laughs> is. It's lots of F-bombs and lots of nerd talk, kind of. So I'm um, going to be going over there and talking to Adam and Blake, the two guys on there, later this afternoon. That should be out like a little bit before, before Christmas. Uh, I've been talking to Darren about coming back on Psycho Semantic Cast here early next year. We've been nice. talking about a couple things might be doing over there. And uh, as we've mentioned a couple times on this show, uh, try to plan something, some sort of crossover with our buddy Tony over on the Video Nasty project. Uh, they, yeah, they he's out... he's hardcore in for like like some of the more obscure worst movies on this list, uh, yeah, which makes yeah. me think he's a, a cinematic sadist. So. Yep. Absolutely, but yeah, those guys put out new episodes. I think almost every week over on YouTube. So go give them a follow because they're, they're they're doing great stuff. They're they're doing. I think all all three of the tier video nasty lists in alphabetical order. So yeah, they're, indeed, they're, yeah. they're doing them a little bit different than us, but that gives you a kind of a chance to go back and you know watch episodes about movies that were covered on like the first season of this show, or you know sometimes you get stuff that like we just covered kind of deal. So mm-hmm. yeah, go 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 give all those guys some love and yeah. Uh, be good to each other this holiday season. Stay the fuck home, especially <laughs> if you're here in the states. Like tell grandma, sorry, I don't want to give you the fucking Rona, so I'm staying home. It's really not that complicated. This is this is getting way out of hand, and I honestly like really kind of do want to be able to go back to the fucking theaters next year. So please, please start making better choices, especially you fucking Americans, uh, of, uh, which I am one. Please <laughs> let's 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 fucking end this shit soon, please. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, 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 guess what? If like everyone just holds tight for a little while longer everything will be okay as literally as as there there is a cure there let's just let's just be sensible and 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 let it take effect uh yeah 
all the best everyone out there um, and we will speak to you in 2021 for another 12 episodes of doing the nancy doing the nancy nancy. we're changing the name it's only movies about girls named nancy that's it i'm I'm totally down with that 100 (laughs) percent down with that i'm also thinking we could just have the intro track could be nancy boy by placebo and i am instantly erect Um, although one day i will go into great detail about how it took me a conversation with some of my friends to realize that the attraction i had to the singer of placebo was an attraction to a man and not a woman um Oh, genuinely <laughs> did not know it was Brian. Uh, uh, yeah, but you mean Brian Maloko? I was like, well, that, is it Brianne? Or like something, it can't be Brian. They're like, no, no, that's... So did. I was like, oh, no. Um, and I had to go home and assess some of my life choices, Mark. Uh, but that's a story for a different show. Uh, yeah, take care of yourselves out there. We will speak to you all next year. And until the next time, uh, bye. They were called nasties and they were nasty. Some of the things that we've seen are so horrific. These films not only affect young people, but I believe they affect adults as well. An extravaganza of gory violence capable of depraving and corrupting those who watched it. I have never seen the video, Mister. I wouldn't. I actually don't need to see what I know is in that film.